Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone here and those who are also watching with us online. Uh, this is your special day. I'd like to uh, ask all the dads in the house, in the auditorium, would you please stand? Let's give the big round of applause for all the dads that are here. And if you would, please remain standing. We have a little gift for you. And if you would, please come and stand at the front. And uh, we'd like to give you something special. And we'd also like to pray for you. So please come on up. You can just stand on the steps here. All the dads in the house. While you're making your way, I invite those who are handing out the Father's Day gifts to also come forward and begin handing them out. You can stand double arms length apart. I think we're big enough for that. Welcome, dads. Father's Day has long been an important place in our lives. Celebrated on the third Sunday in June, it's an opportunity for us to honor our fathers or father figures who made a difference for us. One of the best ways that we can honor someone is to pray a prayer of blessing or maybe give them a dozen Krispy Kremes. Uh, we have something similar, so we're going to do both today. Dads, we honor you. We honor your God-given role. We support you in the high calling to protect and to provide. And for those in the audience, let's extend our hand toward these fathers and let's pray. We pray that God, out of his glorious riches, will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. May you, being rooted and established in love, have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And may you know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May God, who is utterly able, do immeasurably more for you and in you than all you can ever ask or imagine. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Dads, you may be seated. Well, dads, we celebrate you. We celebrate you because your role is perhaps more important than you realize. Many of our children's ideas about God will be formed based on our relationships with our kids. If our children grow up with an earthly father who is absent or emotionally distant, it'll be much more difficult for them to view God as actively involved. Or if a dad is overly harsh or rigid, his children are likely to see God as someone who is quick to punish their mistakes. On the other hand, if a dad is engaged and loving, his children will be more readily able to put their, their hope and trust in a God who cares for them. So whether we like it or not, 
our fathering will create impressions about God with our children. And it's up to us to make the most of the opportunities. And I know this can feel like a heavy responsibility, and it is, but with God's help, we have great potential as dads. When we model qualities that will allow our children to have a more accurate picture of who God is, a picture of God's heart. A father's heart filled with love and strength ultimately reflects the image of God, our heavenly father. You know, as a younger man, when I would hear thoughts like these, when I would hear ideas like these, I'm just going to be honest with you, I would get discouraged because as I would hear about the responsibility and the high calling and representing God's heart, I knew that I didn't measure up. But by God's grace, by the favor of God, he allows us to grow and to have another chance and to do better today and tomorrow. By God's grace, our mistakes are forgiven and he heals our lives and we can start over. Today, we'll learn from a man who did exactly that. He wasn't perfect, but he had a heart for God. You may know who this man is. King David is known as the man after God's own heart. He wrote a song that reveals the secret to being a dad who represents God's heart. He wrote a song that reveals how to be a blessing to your wife and to your kids. He wrote a song that reveals the secret to being blessed and finding happiness. It's found in Psalm 128. Just six short verses. Let's read it. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat of the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Verse 4. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the, the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This passage is packed with many nuggets, and the key is verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in obedience to him. You know, there's a common perception when you think about obedience and the fear of God, and you think about obeying God's ways, there's a common perception when it comes to the commandments to see them in a negative light. Sometimes they can be viewed as or give the connotation of rules and regulations, limitations, boundaries. It's as if God just wants to rain on my party and to tell me to cut it out. You know, this is a perspective of what's, what the Bible calls the natural mind. The natural mind is the mind without Christ. The natural mind is the mind without revelation from the written word and from the living word. And so, you know, there's this popular thinking out there about God's commandments, the Ten Commandments, rules and regulations, but I want you to contrast that with a very different view. Compare this with the attitude of King David. In Psalm 1, 
he said, for the person who is blessed, he said, he is a person who delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, that's a very different perception from rules and regulations and God who's distant and uninvolved and wants to rain on my party and tell me to cut it out. He's like, wow, David is talking about delighting in the law. How does he get that attitude? How does he, where did he get that perspective? What is he thinking? We can also compare this natural mind, this other view about God's ways and God's law with something that Jesus said. John 15, verse 10. Jesus said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And then he tells us why. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so as, as we look at David and what he's saying in the Psalms about the word of God, as we look at Jesus and what he said about the commandments of God, how is this true? When oftentimes we feel like, you know, sometimes you hear this popular idea out there in the media that, that the church is kind of like... Um, the ball and chain that keeps people back from being free. It's kind of a perspective about the word of God. And so, but David and Jesus are saying something very different. And how is that? Why, why is that? You know, what are the pieces of the puzzle that we need to know? What are the dots that we need to connect to understand the perspective they're coming from? And Jesus said, that your joy will overflow, that your joy will be made full. You know, when I was a younger person, I really struggled with sadness. In fact, it has a lot to do with how I came to experience God. I was 14 years old, and I started asking the question about how did we get here and why are we here? And I didn't have an answer, and as a result, I just felt like the motivation to do anything just disappeared. I mean, why was, if I didn't know what was the purpose, what was the reason, then why was I trying to be a good student? Or why was I trying to be a good son? Why was I trying to please my parents? For what? What's, what's the purpose? And so all the motivation to do anything just drained out of me. And I used to be a very active young person. It wasn't uncommon for me to wake up and just run through the neighborhood all day long till sundown and come home. But one afternoon, my mom noticed that I'm just laying on the couch. She says, how come you're not out playing? I don't want, I don't feel like doing anything. And next day did that. Third day did that. Fourth day. Finally, she got worried. She goes, what's wrong? And so I told her about my question. I, you know, I don't know why we're here. I don't know what's the reason for doing anything. Why even try? And my mom she had prayed to receive Christ when she was 14, but she hadn't been discipled, and so she didn't really know the Bible. But she was kind of a spiritual person. And so she had collected these sayings from like newspaper clippings over the years about good reasons for living, like leave the world in a better place, you know, before you go. And she would share these like articles with me, and she'd put them under my pillow. And when I came home from school, I would look under the pillow to see what was there, and I'd read it to see if it might help me in my search. But none of them did. And I, the only way I could cope and not be sad was just to kind of sweep it under the rug. Forget the question, forget it ever existed, just live life on a surface level and have fun. And I did that for six years. 
but periodically the question would pop up from time to time and I'd wrestle with it and I'd probably deal with sadness again and then sweep it under the rug again. I did that for six years, just kind of went through a cycle until I finally met a campus missionary at the University of Guam and I started talking to him about my question. And he shared with me an answer from the Bible, which I didn't understand at the time. It was Isaiah 43, 7, where God is speaking. And he says, you are my people whom I have created for my glory. And you know, to this day, I'm still trying to understand what that means, how to live that out. But I was so interested in talking with this person because the way he talked about the Bible was like he really believed this stuff. I just looked at him like, wow, like you're really into this, aren't you? And to me, the Bible wasn't much different than the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and, oh, yeah, there was Jesus, too, during Christmas. You know, it was kind of in that category. But, like, he really lived by this. And so it got, my, got me curious just to listen to him long enough to share the good news that God came in the form of a man to take our place on the cross so that we don't have to take the penalty for our own mistakes and that we could be forgiven and that we could come to him and we could experience God. And, you know, I'm not sure I really bought that. I think I was kind of skeptical inside. But two days later, I was just in my bedroom all by myself looking up at the ceiling, and I said, God, if you're real, I want to know. And I had lived in a culture for 20 years where men don't cry. And I had years and years of pent-up emotions that had never been expressed. And when I opened the door by making a decision and saying, God, if you're real, I want to know, God came into my life and touched my heart and for the first time, I became aware that, hey, there's something greater than just us. I'm not alone. And I felt like God was answering my prayer to, re to answer my question. And like I said, I had all these years of pent-up emotion. And in that moment of experiencing God, it was like somebody opened, the dam broke, and all the tears just came rushing out. Just years and years of pent-up emotion. I'd been such an angry person as a younger person. I was just like, Man, somebody, just come up to me. Give, look at me the wrong. Give me the atom, Baba. Give me an excuse to let out this anger. That's the way I used to be. But then all of this emotion just came pouring out. And I went to the dining table, and my eyes were bloodshot from crying, and my dad looked at me like I was on something. I was. It wasn't what he thought. <laughs> it was something different. And that was the beginning of being able to experience a release and a peace and a joy that I'd never known. But then somehow, I don't know, the feeling escaped me. And over the years, it just kind of disappeared, and I kind of went back to my old pattern and habit of being sad. And I was like, even in recent years, God, where's the joy? I've been walking with you, I've been serving you, I've been seeking you, but where's the joy? And so that had been my prayer. And then, just recently, I came across this verse, John 15, where Jesus says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And I began thinking about that. Lord, I, this verse is speaking to my very question. I, I know there's something here, but I don't get it. So I'm asking God to give me insight and understanding. I just began to meditate on it. How is this true that if I obey his commands, that my joy will be made full and I'll abide in his love? I began thinking about the commandments. And you know, I've said this before, but somehow the dots didn't connect for me. 
the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments have to do with your relationship with God, and the next six have to do with your relationships with people. The Ten Commandments are not really about rules and regulations of what you can and cannot do. The Ten Commandments are actually a description of what love looks like. If you love somebody, you won't lie to them. If you love somebody, you won't steal from them. The very first and foremost commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. You know, in the past, I would think, oh, God, wow, so limiting. Like, I can't have any, anything, any other priority in my life. It's like, you're the only one? But no, if you think about it in terms of love, if you love God, there won't be anything else in his place as number one. It's a description of what love looks like. Jesus said, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. It's like marriage. You know, somewhere in my file drawer at home, <clears throat> there is a marriage certificate. And I've never thought of, when, I never thought of breaking my promise to my wife because somewhere in my file cabinet, there's a certificate of marriage. It's never been about the legal requirement. It's never been about the paper. It's never been about the law. The reason I don't break my promise is because I don't want to hurt her. When you meditate on Scripture through the corrective lens of God's Spirit, there's a different perspective. There's a different attitude about how we approach God's Word and why we apply God's word. And in order to have that perspective, it's very important that we keep in mind it's not just about our human understanding or Bible study or studying Greek or Hebrew. You have a much better resource than that. Paul alludes to it. Well, not alludes. He speaks to it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows, except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit that is from the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit. Your perspective about the Word of God will change as we begin to let the Spirit of God give insight and understanding to the written Word. And you'll begin to walk with God in obedience. And when that happens, David says, the windows of heaven will open and you will be blessed. Verse 2 says, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. I just should add a note of caution whenever we read this phrase, blessing and prosperity will be yours, because there's a common thought out there that if I give God X amount, he will give me Y amount. And there's something not quite right about that, it, because it's the attitude of giving to get. And I think God's heart is giving 
to give, period. It's, it's one of those ironies in the kingdom of God. But, you know, Jesus said, he who seeks his life will lose it, but he who loses it for my sake will gain it. You know, giving is one of those things where you, you don't give to get, but if you give, you will get. But you can't give to get. You have to give to give. And so it's very tricky. You've got to watch your heart and your, your desires. But it's important that we're giving to give. You know, an interesting illustration uh, is with uh, a Christian comedian. His name is Michael Jr. Maybe you've heard of him. He's my favorite comedian. But, you know, in his early career, he was struggling a little bit. He was doing gigs at nightclubs here and there, trying to do his comedy show. And uh, things were kind of going okay, but nothing was really taking off. And then one night he was speaking to an audience and he decided he was going to do something different. He realized just through prayer and God working in his heart that he had kind of the wrong perspective. He was kind of giving to get. And so he decided when he did his comedy show that night, he wasn't going to do his show so that he could get a laugh. He was going to do his show so that he could give a laugh. And he said once he made that switch, he says his career took off. He's now one of the most popular Christian comedians in the world today. And so one of these ironies in the kingdom of God, you know, the thing you grasp for, it's, it eludes you, but if you let it go, God will give it to you. And so verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. In other words, she will flourish, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. That's an interesting word picture. I mean, we don't have olive trees here on Guam. But notice he doesn't say olive branches. He says olive shoots. You know, an olive branch is still part of the same tree. But an olive shoot is a new tree that's forming, able to be independent and to grow on its own, surrounding the main trunk. Eventually, your children can be like a blessing and a protection to you. And even if the tree gets chopped down, these other trees will grow. And it's a picture of your legacy, somebody else carrying your baton into the future. This is a picture of legacy. And yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. While I'm looking at our time, we're already at 12 noon. So let me just summarize with this. I could boil it down to two simple things. Psalm 128. Using Jesus' words combined, the idea is if abide and obey, and you will be blessed. Abide and obey. And maybe just a little word picture or an idea to help remember that. Because, you know, I, I can tell you from my own experience, three weeks later, somebody asked me, so what did the preacher speak about three weeks ago? I'm like, uh... <laughs> but here's something that might help a little bit. Abide and obey, A and O. Uh, in the Greek alphabet, those are the first and last letters, alpha and omega. And Jesus said, I am the alpha and the omega. He was saying, I am the first and the last. So we want to think about the life of Christ and who he is. Just think of alpha and omega, A and O, abide and obey. And as we practice that, as we apply that in our own lives, you will experience the blessing of God. Sound good? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. 
that you sent your son to make a way to show us the way. Thank you that you did that because of your father's heart, because of your love. God, I pray that as we place ourselves under your word and allow your word to flow in and through our minds, our spirits, souls, and bodies, that you will enable us to reflect your heart. Thank you for all the fathers in the house here and who are watching online. And I ask God that by your spirit, you would transform you would conform us into your image and that your word would become alive and living. And if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to invite you just to take a moment in the privacy of your heart to ask the Lord God, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? What is it that you want me to take away? What can I apply today? And so just take a moment so that before we leave today, there's a bit of clarity. There's something to take with you and to hold on to, to enrich you, to strengthen you. And Father, you see every heart here. Lord, you see what you're doing and saying to us pray that you would enable us to honor you in our response, just to receive your word, to receive you, to take it and say, yes, Lord, and to let your word take root in our hearts and grow and multiply. If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to address perhaps another group that may be here today as you're hearing me talk about a relationship with God. That's something that you've been thinking about lately. In fact, as a result, you've been kind of searching in your heart. And that's a lot to do with why you're here today, wanting to experience God. And if that describes you, but you've never made a conscious choice to open up to God, if you've never made a formal decision to let him come into your life, then I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that. And it's very simple. The most important part is simply that you make the choice. It's something that you want to do. And then expressing that to God, which is what we call prayer. And so I'll pray out loud. I invite you to pray along with me. God will hear you. But before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And so I have a signal for that, which is if you would simply look up, when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that describes you, um, go ahead and look up, and we'll pray together in a moment. Yes, I see you there, both of you. That's great. And there, okay, good. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. If I did, raise your hand. Okay, let's pray. God, I'm here today because I sense that you've been getting my attention. And I realize that something is missing, and I'm thinking maybe it's my relationship with you. And so today I'm making a choice 
Lord, I've kind of been searching around in my heart and mind, and, and today I'm kind of settling here that it's you. And I'm making a decision to open up to you. And so, God, I invite you to come into my life, to be a part of my life. And I ask that you would show yourself to me. If you're praying this prayer, I want to invite you just to take a moment to do business with God and just let his spirit come into yours, just to receive his spirit of love and forgiveness. And let him be with you. This is the moment that he's been waiting for, the most important decision you'll ever make. And so, Father, yes, I open up and I invite you to come into my life, and I thank you for Jesus and what he did for me. I receive your spirit of forgiveness, your spirit of love. I ask that you show yourself to me. I ask that you would change me and make me the kind of person you designed me to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give a hand to all those who just prayed that prayer.